You're listening to audio from Community Bible Church in Savannah, Georgia. For more information, go to cbcsavannah.com. Lord, now you are letting your servant depart in peace, according to your word. For my eyes have seen your salvation, that you have prepared in the presence of all peoples, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and for glory to your people Israel. And his father and his mother marveled at what was said about him. And Simeon blessed them and said to Mary his mother, Behold, this child is appointed for the fall and rising of many in Israel and for a sign that is opposed and a sword will pierce through your own soul also, so that thoughts from many hearts may be revealed. This is a challenging passage. For those who've been reading ahead, uh, we have the little bookmarks that ran out, I think, maybe last week, so we got new ones for you this week, but uh, of what's coming up next week. If you read the passage, it's not an easy one. So you came on a doozy. You should have been a Tybee today if you're here, right? <laughs> But um, it's one that we need to hear. It's one that God has brought you here to hear. And so let me just read the words of Paul just to remind us. So bow our heads. Let's close our eyes and and make this our prayer. Paul says, I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good and acceptable and perfect. Uh, Father, I pray um, that that would be the case for us, that we would not be conformed, but we would be transformed, that we would not uh, care about what everyone else is saying or everyone else is doing, but we would care about what you have said and what you have done And that is a huge difference, and it's going to make a huge difference. And Lord, some of these things we're going to talk about are are countercultural. They are not what is easy to do. It is not the norm, but is what you have called us to do. And so I ask that you would send your spirit to fill us, to empower us, to open our eyes to truth, to move through your church. Um, I pray just for... uh, all the workers right now, so many good things going on as, as we're sitting here, so many workers with children uh, serving faithfully there. Um, I just pray that you would just bless them as they love on our kids. For those who are behind the scenes, whether it's security, whether it's greeting, we thank you for all the workers you've sent. I pray you would send more so we could just serve each other well um, so that we could facilitate coming alongside the word and the worship. And so we pray that you would be glorified. Lord, I just again acknowledge my need. I need you to help me because I certainly... Not only do I need help communicating these things, I don't do them very well. And so I just pray you'd help me despite that to communicate these things well to your church. It's in Christ's name I pray, amen. Give me a little bit more juice. Just a little bit. There you go. All right, we're in Luke 6, I think. Yeah, Luke 6, there it is. Uh, Most of you know, if you've been here for any amount of time, I've told you a lot of things about myself, probably too much. Um... But I went to an all-male military, it was all-male at the time, military institution up in Charleston, South Carolina, and um, very interesting. When I was a senior in high school and had decided for some odd reason to go there, 
I had no clue what I was getting into. Right, this is before YouTube and the internet, young folks. There was, no, there was nothing like that. We had VCRs um, back then. But so there was no like, oh, let's just go stream some video and see what it's like. I had no clue what I was getting into until I showed up. In fact, the, I had never even been on campus before. I know that's radical. Like we, everyone does college visits and stuff. My college visit was the day before I showed up, right? Uh, I just wanted to see where it was. So, and, and when I showed up, I can remember the moment. I drove through Lusane Gate, August 17th, 1992, right? Still remember, my life radically changed. I went from an 18-year-old punk. I was still 5'6". I was still short. I didn't grow in college, all right? So 18-year-old punk, he could do anything he wanted, drive anywhere he wanted to go, sleep as long as he wanted to, eat what he wanted to, say what he wanted to. I I could do all those things. That changed at 8 a.m., all right, I no longer got to dress the way I wanted. They told me how to dress. They gave me an outfit for everything. This is what you wear to PT. This is what you wear to eat. This is what you wear to parade. This is what you wear to class. This is what you wear to bed. This is how you go out to the shower. You wear your little knobby cap and you put your little bathrobe on and you run around like an idiot with flip-flops on. They told me how to do everything. They told me how to eat. Sit on the first two inches of your chair. Square your meals. Look straight ahead. Don't look at me. Don't talk. Don't chew with your mouth open. Don't eat more than one bite at a time. This is how you talk. You want to go up the stairs? You got to ask permission to come up the stairs. You got to ask permission of the highest ranking man on the stairs if you can come up the stairs. And if there's 30 of them, you got to figure out which one it is. All right? You had to study. Everything I did was told how to do. Right? How to talk. How to think. How to walk. Right? How to cut my hair. You didn't have any. You cut it all off. You shaved it. Okay? How to arrange your room. And they gave you a little book in case you ever had any questions. It was called the Guide On. It's just, just perfect size. It would fit in your back pocket. And you took it everywhere. And every time you stopped and you were standing around, they said, put your nose in your Guide On. And you'd sit there like this and you'd read it. And you had to memorize this book, basically. It told you everything you needed to know about being a cadet. Right? And they reminded you that you didn't have to be there because all your buddies were at Clemson, sleeping in, <laughs> playing video games. Going to football, and you can quit anytime you want. Everything was different. Everything was new, right? And everything I needed to know was in my little guide on, in my back pocket, right? We come to a passage of scripture today that reads a little, it feels a little bit like that. But what Jesus is going to do, and this is his famous Sermon on the Mount, Sermon on the Plain, he's in essence going to give his disciples their guide on. And he is going to tell you, now that you are following me, everything is different. Now, it's not as intense and crazy as it was when I was there. But life is now different. For those who are in Christ, you are a new creation. Old things have passed away. Behold, new things have come. Right? And so he is going to describe for them what this new life looks like as you follow him. Right? And that's what we're going to spend the next two weeks really looking at because we're going to split this sermon up into two weeks. What is, it, what is the code of conduct, so to speak, for the follower? Now that you are this, what does that mean? And it is completely different than what it used to mean. All right? And here's what's important that you get right up front. This, this Sermon on the Mount, the Sermon on the Plain, as it's been called, this is not how you get into the kingdom. Okay, that's very important because I saw it on social media this week, way number 63 to get into the kingdom and it quoted one of these verses. 
And I felt like saying, no. But I don't get in Facebook debates like some of you, so I didn't. But it's, it's not way into the kingdom. This is not how you get in. This is for those who are already in. I didn't shave my head and put on a uniform and start yelling at the top of my lungs and walking really fast before I went to the Citadel. That's not how I got in. I started doing that after. I was already a cadet, so this is how I live my life now as a cadet. This is what Jesus is saying. For those who are following me now, this is the code of conduct. So just understand that up front. This is not, how do I get there? What do I do? Very important, because you'll hear that and it is wrong. And we'll see why. We'll see it in a few minutes as he addresses his disciples, all right? So let's jump in. We're gonna kind of cover two big picture points today as the first half of the sermon, Luke 6. And we're gonna cover it from like 30, 40,000 feet. All right, we can get real specific and spend raw time, but I want you to see the big picture and then we'll make some applications or we'll just look at Jesus' applications for us. All right, here's kind of the setting where Jesus is. He's just gone to battle with the Pharisees. Saw that last week and, and these religious leaders and he's kind of gotten in their, their grill. We pick up our, our portion of scripture in chapter six, verse 12. And these days he went out to the mountain to pray. And all night he continued in prayer to God. We've seen this before. Jesus needs some time to refuel. We find out he's got a really big day the next day. He's got a big sermon to preach. He's got some big decisions to make. He's picking some disciples, some apostles. He's gonna heal some people. He's gonna cast out some more demons. So big day, so he spends some time praying. He spends some time alone. He spends some time with the Father. And when he's done, he, he comes down and he, and he called his disciples. Now he's got a bunch of people following. Disciple just means follower. And he calls them to the self. And then he chooses out of all those 12 whom he named apostles. They are followers, which is what a, a disciple is. Now they are apostles, which means those who are sent. He calls 12 of them. Clearly there's this theme throughout scripture. You have 12 tribes of Israel. Now you have 12 apostles. In the kingdom, these 12 men will be sitting on 12 thrones next to Jesus. And there's their names. And you know, if you grew up in church, you know the song. There were 12 disciples. Jesus called them. Simon, Peter, Andrew, James, right? So there they all are. A couple brothers, a couple, you know, Jameses, some Alphaeuses, some Zealots. And then there's a traitor, Judas Iscariot, which we'll see more of him later. So he picks these 12 guys. Why? Are they super gifted? Are they super strong? Are they got great potential? Nope. Normal dudes, just like you. And I think it just emphasizes the point that Jesus is the one who chooses and we are the ones who follow, right? He doesn't see anything. Oh, this, this guy, he's sharp. Got 1,200 on the boards. We need him in the kingdom, right? No, he chooses based on his sovereignty, based on his providence before the foundation of the world, just like he chooses these guys, right? So that's kind of the backdrop. And then he comes down with them and he stands on a level place with a great crowd of his disciples and a great multitude of people from all Judea and Samaria, Jerusalem, the seacoast of Tyre and Sidon, who came to hear him and to be healed of their diseases. And those who were troubled with unclean spirits were cured, and all the crowd sought to touch him, and power came out from him, and he healed them. So he comes down, he's got his 12, and there's this great multitude there. There's just all different people, all different reasons. He's got his 12 apostles now. They're probably thrilling, feeling pretty good about themselves. You got all the rest of the followers that didn't get chosen, but they're still there. And you probably have some Pharisees and you have some religious leaders and you probably have some Roman soldiers standing around figuring out what's going on. And you have people as far as Tyre and Sidon, which is miles and miles and miles away to the coast, all coming because they hear things. They, they want to see Jesus. They want to get healed. And he's doing that. Just great diversity for great different reasons. Just like this morning. Got lots of people. For lots of different reasons, you're here. 
Some of you, God changed your life. You came to faith X amount of years ago. You love God and you're here and you just, you just want to be fed the scripture. You want to serve people. You want to love people. You're here for that reason. Some of you, you, you kind of, you, you don't know why you're here. You know, you keep coming back because there's this crazy fast talking Yankee on the stage or they got this yuppie guy that wears skinny jeans or they got the guy that looks like Dwight from The Office and they're all funny, right? That would be Cleveland. Yuppie skinny jeans would be Kane. Uh, and you don't know, but that's because God's kind of drawing you and moving in you and so you're here. And some of you, maybe you're just neutral or you, your parents brought you, so you're here. Or maybe you're like, we got you know, eight and nine year olds about to be teenagers, so we need to bring our kids to church because we don't want them to end up like crackheads and so we're gonna do that. Right? Maybe some of you, you kind of this morning, your buddy said, hey, let's go get coffee and go for a run. And so you're like, yeah, I'll do that. And then all of a sudden he like said, all right, I got one stop to make. And he pulls in the parking lot and now you're here and you got duped. And you're like, where's, where's the coffee? It's in there. For whatever reason, multiple different reasons, lots of people just like then. And, and then Jesus does something very unique. All right? I mean, probably thousands of people around. That's usually the crowd that he drew. But look what it says in verse 20. He lifts up his eyes on who? On his disciples. Thousands of people around on the plain, on the hill, whatever it is. And he's not ignoring them. He knows they're there. He's healing their sick. He's casting out demons. But he specifically, it mentions both here and in the the parallel account, by the way, in Matthew, which is a little bit more detailed. It's about two thirds longer than this in Luke's account. They both in both accounts, it says he looks at his disciples. It's, it's as if he's going to have a conversation with his followers and he's going to let everyone else eavesdrop, right? All you Pharisees, all you people are kind of, you know, you don't know where you're at. The guy that thought he was getting coffee and he got church instead. You're all welcome to hear. But what I have to say is to these individuals and he lets them in, right? Because he's going to tell them, this is the guide on for you now. You're following me. This is what it looks like, okay? This is, this is what it looks like. And so he's gonna start off making eight statements, right? We call them the Beatitudes, famous, kind of based on the Latin word for you know, blessed, the first word there. Uh, and in essence, what he's gonna do is he's gonna contrast two types of people, uh, two types of worldview, two types of value systems. He's gonna contrast the blessed person and the not blessed person, right? And before we get into the list, I want you to think about this. If you were going to make two lists, two columns on your bulletin, on whatever, okay, put blessed column, not blessed column. What would you put on the blessed column? Don't look. Don't look at Jesus's list. What would you put? I know what I, you know what I was thinking this week? I was thinking, me and my wife been trying to win the HGTV house (laughs) down in St. Simon's. And I'm trying to decide whether or not if I'd win the house, if I take the house, it's $750,000. That's blessing. That's what I'm thinking. I hope you didn't register. It gives me a better shot. But th- that's my list. That's one thing. That's just one of many. Guess what? That's not on the list. Let's look at Jesus's list real quick. Because it's a shocking list. Right? This is at the heart of fall and rising, y'all, of the, of the whole theme of the book. What does he say? He lifted up his eyes on his disciples and said, blessed are you who are poor, for yours is the kingdom of God. Blessed are you who are hungry now, 
for you shall be satisfied. Blessed are you who weep now, for you shall laugh. Blessed are you when people hate you and when they exclude you and revile you and spurn your name as evil on account of the Son of Man. Rejoice. Look at what he says. He said, this is the good times. Rejoice. You know it's going well in that day. Leap for joy. It's a picture of this new calf coming out of the stall. Like, woo, it's like birthday. He said, that, this is what you do. Why? Your reward in heaven is great. And for so they did the fathers and the prophets. That's, you know, we value authenticity in the church. So I'm going to be authentic. None of those are on my list. Poor, hungry, sad, unpopular. Didn't make my list. Didn't make your list, right? You get the idea that Jesus is working from a completely different set of values, right? Completely different. I don't think he read the Declaration of Independence, right? Life, liberty, the pursuit of happiness. Jesus, didn't you know that we're Americans? This is what we do. He, he wasn't looking at that. Actually, my list is the second list, probably, verses 24 to 26. But woe to you who are rich. Got the HTV TV house. For you have received your consolation. Woe to you who are full now, for you shall be hungry. Woe to you who laugh now, for you shall mourn and weep. Woe to you when all people speak well of you, for so their fathers did to the false prophets. So what exactly is going on here? What is Jesus saying? Right? I, I think it's helpful. We need to define some terms here. All right. So let's, let's define two important terms. First term is blessed. Because right? he starts off blessed, and, we'll, and then we'll define woe. All right? Blessed is a churchy word, let's be honest. Right? Someone says something nice about you. Oh, I'm blessed. Blessed, blessed. Right? And if we're really spiritual, we make it two syllables. I'm blessed. <laughs> blessed are the... Why is it blessed? Because you've been in church your whole life. That's why it's blessed. It's blessed, right? But, oh, I'm blessed. I, I won the Super Bowl. What are you going to do? Well, I'm just so blessed. Okay, that is not what Jesus is saying. All right, that may be one English use. That's not what the term... And, and, and the Greek text means. The term, you could translate it happy or content or satisfied or settled or fortunate. It's used outside the scripture in the day of, of the Greek gods who would sit and look down on the poor humans who were you know, suffering chaos and all these harm and they were blessed because they didn't have to be part of that. It's just this, this contentment, this satisfaction. Okay, so that, it's a loaded word, but it's not Oh, I've just been blessed. I guess blessed, blessed. Okay. What's the second word? Woe. Woe. Right? It's not that. It's a very emotional word. It's how sad. Some of your translations say alas. Right? Or how disappointing. What sorrow. Eugene Peterson's The Message, which is just a big paraphrase. I love what it says. It says, it's trouble ahead. That, that's the idea. And again, what Jesus has done, it's the heart again of fallen rising, what he's prophesied would happen about him, is he has exalted what the world has despised and he has rejected what the world admires. He says, happy are those who you think there is no way that they could be happy and it's trouble ahead for those who they get everything that everybody wants, right? It's, it's just different. And here's the first, first principle of the guide on, right? First thing I learned at the Citadel was cadet prayer. Almighty God, a source of light and strength, we implore thy blessing on this, our beloved institution that may continue true to its high purposes. And it goes on and on and on. First thing you got to get in this guide on is this. 
It's obvious, but it's not, is that Jesus's followers are different. Different. One of the things about when I was at the Citadel, we would try to blend in, right? And when you were downtown wearing your uniform and you're wearing a little salt and pepper or your, we call it ice cream uniform, a little blue, white shirt with blue, just, you couldn't blend in. So what we would do is we think we're real smart. We'd go out to North Charleston where there weren't many people because you're supposed to wear your uniform. We'd go out to North Charleston and we would wear civilian clothes. We call them civvies, right? That was a real fancy word, civvies. And we would try to blend in and we would go to this place, me and my friends, called Plum Crazies in North Charleston. I know you can't imagine your pastor at Plum Crazies, but he was there. And it didn't matter if we were in civilian clothes, we stood out. You couldn't blend in. First of all, we all had shaved heads. No one else in Charleston had shaved heads. They all looked like John Lennon, all right? So where's John Lennon and the Citadel guys trying to wear baseball hats, but you could see their ears. Where our civilian clothes were all wrinkled because they were stuffed in a bag somewhere hidden in their room because you weren't allowed to have them. So we looked like we were all wrinkly. We're like, yeah, we're cool, look at us. And there'd be like 20 of us in one little corner and none of them could dance and they all just looked dorky. We, we tried to blend in and we couldn't blend in, even when we tried to. And what Jesus is telling his followers is, you're different. And the problem with the church today is it's not that different. And we're trying to fit in. If you just, well, well we're just like you. And I'm not saying different being weird. Please hear me. And I'm not saying different being obnoxious. Right? If you're weird, you're weird. It had nothing to do with Jesus. And some of you need to hear that. That's what you need to hear. <laughs> okay. But this idea that if we just fit in and make everyone like us, then maybe they'll like God. They killed him, y'all. It, does, it doesn't work. It's not how it is. It For his followers, the value system is different. And money and comfort and power and popularity are not the value of his followers. Now, what you have to understand, though, is this text is not merely talking about the physical. So what he's not saying when he says, blessed are the poor, he's not saying everybody who's poor is in and everyone who's wealthy is out. If that was the case, all the college students who have a buck 50 in their account and ate ramen last night, they're in. And if you came to church in a car that's made in Germany, you're out. That's not what he's saying. He's not saying, oh, if you're hungry, if you, as long as you're hungry, so just starve yourself, go home, empty the pantry, get yourself a nasty set of clothes and, and sleep on a bed of nails and then you're in. That's, that's monasticism. We don't, that's not what he's saying. He's not saying all the grumpy, crying people are in, all the people that are obnoxious and make people hate them. It's not the point. This is where our, our principles of interpretation of scripture help us. We let scripture interpret scripture. And when you go to Matthew's account of this sermon, he clarifies just a little bit. It's not blessed are the college student who have a buck 50, the poor. Look at his wording. He said, first of all, he said, blessed are you, not everybody, but blessed are you who are poor. And Matthew clarifies and says, the poor in spirit. Blessed are the poor who are poor in spirit, who recognize that they are spiritually bankrupt that you have nothing to offer. I don't care if you went to Harvard, don't care if you're a bazillionaire, don't care if you're Bill Gates, that spiritually you have nothing to offer God. You are broke. 
And the reason that relates to the physical realm is because it is very difficult often for wealthy people to see their need. Because why would I need it? I got everything I need. I pay for everything I need. I got a great house. I got a great this. I'm very healthy. I got a great doctor. And so it is harder for a rich person to enter the kingdom, according to Jesus, than for a camel to go into an eye of a needle. Have you ever tried, and some people, oh, that's a spirit, there's a gate in Israel, that's a camel. No, it's not. He's, he's, this is a word for a sewing needle. And, and as a man who has tried to sew, I can't even get a thread through the hole. <laughs> Forget it, throw the jacket out, the button's gone. Right. <laughs> Jesus said it is harder for a camel, big animal with humps and, and, and big tongue and spits at people to get through that little hole. And then Peter says, well, how can it happen? He says, nothing's impossible with God. But the point is, when you have everything you need, why do you need God? Why do you need God? That's his argument. The poor in spirit, the bankrupt are the ones. Not the guy who pulls his boots, uh, pulls his, you know, pulls himself up by his bootstraps. You can pull yourself up all day long in the kingdom means nothing. Now, if, you know, any other, any other religion, maybe, Islam, Buddhism, Hinduism, all these things tell you that if you kind of tip the scales of righteousness, if you do more good than bad, then yeah, you're in. Problem is, for the follower, we know there is no scale. The only way in is bowing before the king as a bankrupt, empty, broken person. And he says, that is the person, right? That is the person. And here, here's, the, here's an application point for us, because many of us know that. that. What that means is this, that you, if you are a Christian, should never be a snob, okay? There is no place for the Christian snob. Because snob says, well, look at me, I'm better in. That's my, that's my, you know, that's my seat. I sit in that seat, usually. It's my parking spot. Do you see yourself as better than other people. That's a snob. And, and if, if you're poor in spirit, you can't. Because you realize I got in because of my brokenness. And I've been in many a church that there's Christian snobbery and I would say that's probably here too. And it's, it's a reminder. How'd you get in? You were broken. Are you too good to serve somebody? Are you too good to associate with somebody to talk? Well, I can't do that. You know, I've been coming in this church for 10 years. They've never asked me to do that. It's Christian snobbery. The poor in spirit, right? We are, we're different. And he says, blessed is yours. And notice the tense of the verb real quick. He says, it is the kingdom. This is the only time he uses the present tense. He always, from now on, is gonna use the future tense. It will be, it shall be. But he says, right now, if this is you, if you're poor in spirit, the kingdom is yours. Right now, it's as if God is giving you a voucher. He said, hey, it's yours. You just hold on to this ticket until till that day. It's this great picture of the already, but the not yet. Right? You are a child of God. You right now, present tense. Second thing, it's the same thing with hunger. Blessed are those who are hungry. Not those who are like, man, I wish Bill would end because I'm super hungry. It's those who, who are not satisfied just with the status quo. Matthew says those who hunger and thirst for righteousness. And so the Christian doesn't get to a point where like, yeah, I got this, I'm good. 
I don't need that. I don't need community. I don't need him. I don't need this. I don't need that. I'm good. I'm, 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 just, I'm satisfied. I'm full. Right? That, that, that is the heart of the unblessed, of the, the trouble ahead. Right? For, for the follower, there is a desire to grow. And he says, when that happens, you will be satisfied. And the word is this word that means you were stuffed like you just went to the Golden Corral and you ate so many things and you don't even have room for the chocolate fountain at the end because you're so full. He says, if you have a pursuit of God, that's how you'll feel. And it's important for us to realize, y'all, it is okay to not be okay. I know that in churches, you sometimes feel like, well, I got, you know, that group of people, they look like they have it all together and I don't wanna, you know, I don't wanna mess it up. And this is a church of broken people. It is okay to, to not be okay. And if you think you're okay, then it's not okay for you to be here because you really are, you're deceived. This is a room of people who are not okay. It's okay for that, but it is not okay for you to stay there. That if God, if the Holy Spirit is like, you know, you gotta really deal with this temper, you gotta really deal with this, this, that it's not okay for you to blow that off. So that's trouble ahead. If God is putting his finger on something, it is, it is so he, you can move, so you can pursue, so you can walk. And, and that's what he's saying. Those who hunger and thirst for that, those who wanna grow, they're gonna be full. Same with those who weep, not the grumpy, not the I'm crying all the time. The idea is those who mourn over sin. Those who, who see their brokenness and, and they're just like, man, I did it again. Again, Christians sin. You know that, right? You're married. You have kids. You have a roommate. You know yourself. He's not saying that Christians don't sin, but the difference is Christians aren't okay with it. They're not okay with it. No big deal. And it's an epidemic in the church, and I'm seeing it more and more. I see it in my own heart, but I'm seeing it more where the church does not despise their sin. I mean... And, and I'm gonna pick on the young people a little bit just because there's a lot of you. In your generation, in the church, in this church, the 26-year-old shacking up with his girlfriend, is, it's normal. And it's not supposed to be. This, being disrespectful, being lazy, having foul mouth, entertaining yourself with things that, that are unhealthy for your eyes that are basically soft pornography. It's a, it's a norm, and it's, it's, it's not okay for the church to do that. It is not okay for those to, who play their followers of Jesus to binge on Game of Thrones knowing what they're gonna see. And we laugh it off. We take pictures of ourselves in compromising positions, and they, it's the norm for teenagers. Teenagers, that's not normal. It's not good. It's not, it's not funny that those who follow, they, they still sin, but they don't like it, right? And Paul will later say, how, how can you who died to sin still live in it? It's a great question. And so it's not that we don't fail, it's just that we're not happy. We're not, oh, no big deal. Yeah, me and my girlfriend, uh, I got, had six too many last Friday night. Oh, no big deal. Those who, those who mourn, those who are broken, those who repent, there's the blessed, there's the satisfied, there's the contentment. And then the last one, probably the hardest, blessed are you when people hate you. Really? How, I mean, how countercultural is this? Who likes, you know, let's get a new thing on Facebook, the hate, you know, thing. I hate, you know. We want people to like us. We put pictures on this so people are like, oh, look at that. Look how cute their family is. Look how nice Pobby is. We want to be liked. 
I want to be liked. I hate criticism. I hate it if I hurt somebody. They don't like me. And it's not that he's saying, be a jerk. It's not that he's saying, yeah, go out and be obnoxious. He's not saying that. Notice the reason why. They exclude you, they spurn you because of the Son of Man, because you love Christ. Not because you're supposed to be working, but you're reading your Bible. You don't think, don't think you're getting persecuted because, well, I was reading my Bible. Yeah, because you were supposed to be working on the figures. You're supposed to be cutting the grass. You're supposed to be taking out this. And you're sitting there reading your Bible thinking that's spiritual. No, that's not what I'm talking about. They hate you because you're like Jesus. And they hated him. And, and the reality is most of us are not gonna, our lives are not gonna be threatened for the gospel. Not anytime soon in this country. Maybe one day. But that's not been the norm through all human history. In fact, people died today because they are just associated with the name of Jesus. That's the norm. But what might happen, high school student, college student, is that you, your professor calls you out and embarrasses you in front of the whole class because you're just one of those simple-minded Christians. Or maybe your company doesn't cheat the books and you do things above board, so your prices are higher than the guy across the street that does cheat. So you're gonna lose to that company every time because they cheat and you are honest. Or maybe you missed the promotion because you're not gonna take out those guys when they come to town to the, this place or that place that you know is compromising. Or you don't get invited to the foursome because they know that you're not gonna get boozed with them and you're not gonna talk and laugh and joke and mock your wives. Could be those things. Or they just know that you believe what the Bible says, right? That, that Jesus says he's the way, the truth, and the life. There's no under, name under heaven that, by which men are saved. And you believe that that marriage is between a man and a woman and you're just a bigot and they despise you. You narrow-minded bigot. And he says, that is when you rejoice. I don't feel like rejoicing then. But he says, rejoice. This, this is what they did to me, right? They hated me. They killed me. They did it to the prophets. This is, this is a different way of thinking, y'all. And, and let me be straightforward. If you're not a Christian, you, you, you can't do these things. This, I can't do that apart from God the Holy Spirit. I cannot. There's no way I'm going to rejoice. There's no way I'm going to just do these things apart from God. I cannot do it apart from God. And you see the example of the apostles who, when Jesus is arrested, these 12 men, they're gone. And then you get to Acts chapter five and these same men who were scared to death go get beaten and they walk away, we got beaten for Jesus. What's the difference, the Holy Spirit? And so God has empowered us to do these things, but we gotta, we gotta say this is what he's called us to. It is different. We are called to be different. That's the first big picture idea. Let's look at the second real quick. He's gonna go into really, let me just read it all because this is, if you think the first part was radical, He's just getting warmed up. I say to you who hear, and I love that. You got ears for this? Okay, for those who hear, love your enemies. Do good to those who hurt you or hate you. Bless those who curse you. Pray for those who abuse you. To the one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. And for the one who takes away your cloak, do not withhold your tunic either. Give to everyone who begs from you. And the one who takes away your goods, do not demand them back. And 
as you wish that others would do to you, do to them. If you love those who love you, what benefit is it? For even sinners love those who love them. And if you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that to you? For even sinners do the same. And if you lend to those from those who expect to receive, what credit is it to you? Even sinners lend to sinners to get back the same amount. But love your enemies and do good and lend, expecting nothing in return, and your reward will be great, and you will be sons of the Most High, for he is kind to the ungrateful and the evil. Be merciful even as your Father is merciful. He's pretty clear, wasn't he? He says the same thing like seven times. Love your enemies. So if the first point is, and the guide on is, Jesus' followers are different, here's the second point. Jesus' followers are really different. (laughs) Because nobody loves their enemies. I mean, who, who does that? And look, it is easy to, we all, if you've been in the church any amount of time, you've heard love your enemies, right? You've heard that. It is one thing to hear it. It is one thing to teach it. It is a complete other thing to wear that deal. Because we, when we think enemies, first thing, I, I, this is what I, I think, terrorists, right? We always go somewhere like that. It is easy for me to say, yeah, I love ISIS. I'm going to pray for them. I'm never going to see them. It costs me nothing. And that's the way we think. But when he's telling them to love their enemies, he's not talking about some pie in the sky thing. He's talking about people right now that are killing their families, who are stealing their money, who are making them slaves. He's talking, Rome is right there. Some of the soldiers are probably standing around. And what we gotta get beyond is the whole, yeah, I love my enemies out there. No, he's talking about who is it in your life, the person who has caused you the most harm, the most damage, done you the most injustice and evil, the most grief, the most anxiety, the most stress. Jesus says, I want you to love them. So business guy, and there's, I've talked to many business guys in this church, and I don't know one that hasn't been cheated, lied to, stolen from. So you are, to, you are called to love the guy that ripped you off. That family member who was trying to steal the inheritance, who was always obnoxious, who was always this, that you don't want being at the family reunion, Jesus says, love them. The crazy neighbor that you have now, or everyone's had one crazy neighbor in, my, in their life, that person, the the. the crazy mom on your kid's team that is out to get your kid, the crazy teacher that does not like your kid for some reason, he says, love that person. And not just, okay, I'll, I'll love them from a distance. It's actually move towards these people. And it's not about right or wrong. There's an assumption that you, are, that you have been wronged, okay? So let's take that out of the picture. It is assumed that you have been wrong. But what he's saying is the guide on saying is that, is that his followers are really different, that we actually move towards those people. And he actually gives a couple great applications. He says, bless those who curse you. All right, so the person that talks trash behind your back and you know it, you know they're talking about you as soon as you leave the room. He says, your job is not just to love them from like, oh yeah, I love them. You're actually to to say nice things about that person. They just slammed your kid. You say nice things about their kid. They, They gossiped about you. You compliment them to other people. All right, you see how this is really different? Really, really different? 
right? They say harsh things about you. They criticize you. You do the exact opposite. That's what he's saying. That's what love is. Pray for those who abuse you. And abuse is not the word, like we use the word abuse, like physical abuse. Uh, you know, if someone's abusing you, you call the cops. So don't, oh, I just have to stand there and take it. That's not the idea of the text. The idea of the text is those who have mistreated you. Those who have been harsh. Just pray for them. Here's a homework assignment for y'all. All right, write down, and you know who it is, the person that has most mistreated you in your life. You can write their name on your bulletin, write it in your, maybe in your mind. And your job, your homework then, is to every day this week, pray for them. And not pray that God would melt their brain. I'm not talking about that prayer. <laughs> God, I know I love Joni and I want her to die. <laughs> Amen. Okay, that's not the prayer I'm talking about. I mean, it's, Lord, my boss is so hard on me. And so I just pray that his marriage would rock. I pray that his kids would get into every, the colleges they want. I pray you give him the promotion, Lord. Get him out of here, but get him the promotion. <laughs> Can you do that for five days? Five days. Because that's what loving him means. You see how that's really different? Really different? What's he say next? I know some of you don't want to keep going because it's too hard. The one who strikes you on the cheek, offer the other also. Again, misunderstood verse. This has nothing to do with the government and, and, and the army. This is about personal retaliation. Not the, go the government's job is to punish evildoers and to protect its people. That is biblical. This is personal retaliation. The idea is you are not Christ Christian vigilante Batman. It is not your job to get back. You do not return evil for evil, but you give a blessing instead. Jesus is on the cross. He has been given evil, and he says, Father, forgive them. That is a blessing, right? That's huge, right? You are not to get back. And it's not as much the passivity towards evil as the concern for the other person. So, the, so he says, when one takes your cloak, don't withdraw your, your tunic either. They take your vest, give them your Patagonia. They need it, Right? He says, give to everyone who begs from you. Here's the problem with us, with me, because I go to the same coffee shop every day and see the same guy every day. And he always comes out with more coffee than I am. I am often more concerned with the fact that that guy is abusing the system and he's milking it and he's not working and he's lazy. And that very may well be true. But what, what Jesus is saying is you should be more concerned about him as a person. He is made in the image of God. I died for his sins. That is what matters. Not the $2 you just give him or he might go buy this or that. And I'm not saying you should give to every panhandle in the world. That is not my point. But my point is your heart has to be more for that guy's soul than the three bucks that you may or may not lose. That is really different than the way I think. Because I'm like every one of you, I get off Victory Drive and the Truman and there's someone standing there and I do not make eye contact. God bless you, not you. And, and the point is this, we need to care for people even if they're taking from us and if, if they don't return. And that, that's what he says, right? Because the overarching principle is verse 31. As you wish that others would do to you, you do to them. How do you want people to treat you? That's the question. That's what he's saying. So here's your homework. Here's homework assignment number two, right? Ready? Write down the top five things you love that people do for you. I love it when my husband 
compliments me. I love it when someone says they're perfect. I love it when someone gives me gifts. I love it when someone, top five things, right? Whatever it is. Now, see, if you already did that, you're like, okay, good. I got my list. What am I supposed to do? You're supposed to take that list and do it to your enemy. You're kidding me, right? I'm supposed to compliment. I'm supposed to pray. I'm supposed to buy gift cards. I'm supposed to take out to eat. Yeah. You see how it's really different when we really think about it? It's not pray for ISIS, although that may be it. It's just, it's huge. Because what we normally do is we'll do that. I'll do all those things you want me to do, but we'll just do it for those who we like and we'll do it for those we can get something back from, right? And he says, if you love those who love you, what benefit is that? None. Even sinners do that. Tax collectors do that. If you do good to those who do good to you, what benefit is that? None. Even sinners do the same. If you lend to those who expect you receive, what credit is there? None. That's what everybody does. And he repeats himself in case you didn't hear him the first 16 times. Love your enemies. Do good and lend, expecting nothing in return. And he gives two, two motivations. And here's what we'll close. There's just two reasons, y'all, that he says to do this. Right? Number one is that your reward will be great. Motivation number one is there is a great reward for those who obey Jesus in this. And I don't, I'm going to be honest, I don't know what it is. I don't know what Jesus' reward system is, but I know, I know it must be good. You ever, done, you know, remember back in high school or middle school, you know, even elementary, you'd have some big competition. Hey, whoever brings in the most whatever is going to get a great prize. And you, do, you work hard and you do this great thing. And the prize is like, hey, everybody, here's a pencil. And you're like, all that work for a pencil? A snow cone? Are you kidding me? I wanted a pizza party with ice cream and watch Star Wars. That's what I wanted. And you're like, huh, I promise you no one in the kingdom is going to be like, yeah, I don't know if this was worth it, Jesus. Because it's got to be better than being rich. It's got to be better than being full. It's got to be better than being popular. It's got to be better than being laughter. It's got to be. It's an eternal, glorious reward from the Lord Jesus himself. And the second motivation is this. He says it in the verse. He said, you will be like, you'll be the sons of the most high. You'll be sons of God, daughters of God. I, I walk into the office every morning across the street and it's kind of like got a reflection. And, and, and the other day I was walking in and I looked up as I was doing so and, and I, I was scared because I, lo- I look like my father. And I was like, oh my goodness, it's Tom Fowler. <laughs> Without the gray hair and the grumpiness. No, I'm just... I, I looked like my dad. I'm like, it's scary. It might mean I'm going to look like him what he looks like now in like 20 years. That, but the whole point is you're supposed to look like your dad. A little bit. He says, if you do this, you're like me. I'm kind. I'm gracious. I'm merciful. That, that's the point. Is that when we are like this, we are Christian Christian means like Christ, little Christ. Different and really different. And look, I understand in saying these things, this this may very well be the hardest sermon I have ever preached, bar none. I mean, I I preached a lot of topics in 10 years. Loving the people that are harsh to me that I don't want to love, that is hard. I I get mad when you're going too slow on Truman. 
I did it this morning. One of our members was in front of me. I'm like, I said, who? <laughs> you think I'm lying. That's the funny thing. <laughs> this is radically different than what we think. That is, that is what Jesus is calling us to. He's calling us to be different. He's calling us to be really different. And, and if you're here and you're that guy that's like, you're holding that grudge and you're just waiting for the other person to move towards you and there's some of you here, that's you. I can tell you, look, I know it's hard, but that's, that's not that's not Christian. And you're not responsible for their response, you're responsible for yours. You can't, you can't manage them. Jesus is asking us not to adopt the world's views of things, but to his. It is radical, it is different. But he says, it's because I did it for you, y'all. I was rich. I owned heaven. I became poor. I was full, I didn't need anything. I became hungry. It was pure joy in heaven. I came to a place of mourning. I was adored above everything. I was, I was worshiped day and night for eternity past. And I left so that I could become scorned for you. And now Jesus says, now, you're my followers. There's a great reward. Different and really different. We'll continue next week. Let me pray. Uh, and then we'll, we'll just worship and spend some time thinking about this. Lord, I just pray, this is challenging. This is not easy. It is very difficult. But yet you have given us your spirit and you have empowered us to do it. And so I pray that your followers, your people, whatever is, is appropriate, whatever it is applicable, maybe some of them are playing with sin and they need to be mourning and turning from it. Maybe some are arrogant and proud and they need to be poor in spirit. Maybe some have a neighbor, a spouse, a, a parent that they are holding a grudge against, that they feel like they are their enemy and they need to love them, and tangibly so. Whatever it is, Lord, I just pray that you would help us to do it because we, we wanna be children of the Most High. We want to see great reward one day and ultimately we wanna be different because uh, you have called us to something and we want people to see our, our good works and glorify you in heaven. So help us to do that. I pray your spirit would just show us and lead us each individually as we need. It's in Christ's name I pray. Amen.